Today we are talking to Patrick Turner, the CTO at Small Footprint, and we discuss DevOps, culture hacks, product strategy, and how he geeks out over home automation. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Are you a fan of Alexa? Well, it's funny. I was just listening to your podcast where you were, uh, you guys were lamenting about Alexa. Um, yeah, I have, I have it at home, but I find myself using Siri a lot more. Ooh, what can you do with Siri? Well, I, I'm a, I'm a big home automation geek, and so I, um, I, I can kind of do everything with Siri. I can open the garage doors and turn on lights and. Um, and set the thermostat and just play music on my Sonos and all sorts of fun stuff. So I can do all that with Alexa too, but you know, I have an Apple watch. So Siri's just kind of always right there. And, um, do you have access to uh Siri kit yet? Is that something that's out for developers or no? Um, well, I think it is, but, um, oh, I need to mute my phone. Um, I think it is, but, um, I, um, actually kind of have used this raspberry Pi hack. Um, called hmm. Homebridge. Are you familiar with Homebridge? I am now Homebridge. I'm writing this down. Yeah. So you can basically um, install some uh, some node libraries onto a Raspberry Pi that's sitting on your network and uh, hook it through wow. smart things. And then basically it goes like Siri to the cloud, to your Apple TV, to your smart things. It's kind of convoluted, but it's actually not that hard to set up. It's uh, it, it takes just a, a, um, a couple hours to do. And so now I can do everything with my, with my watch, which is really fun. Oh, I'm excited now. Yeah. Yeah. It's great too. Cause my wife who was like, what are you doing this for? That's so ridiculous. And now she's the one when we're going to bed, she says, Hey Siri, good night. And then the whole house shuts down. So, uh, Oh, cause it runs a yeah. routine. Yeah. And here's my phone actually thinking I'm talking to it. Um, yeah, so it runs a routine and makes sure the doors are locked and the garage doors are down and the thermostat's set right and all the lights are turned out and all that. So, um, yeah. You rocking the Nest? Uh, no. Um, I'm using Echo Bee. Um, I like open systems, you know, and, and the Nest is a little too closed for me. Um, I like, I like system, which ironic since I'm a big fan of, of Siri because that's kind of closed to your point about, um, about the Siri kit, but, um, but no, I, I kind of like things that I can hack into a little bit. I, I don't get a chance to code during the day with my you know regular job. And so I kind of, um, right. I take advantage of my time at home and my home automation geekiness to, to, uh, to code a little bit. Wow. What a, what a rabbit hole this goes into, right? No, this is, this is the, this is the value. <laughs> You, you like the Echo Bee because I haven't I haven't used it yet. Now it's it's really good. It's it actually gives you tons of great information about the energy that your house is using, and um, and it has remote um, thermometers, so you can put thermometers in other rooms. So, for example, during the day, it's paying attention to the living room and the den, um, and then at night, it pays attention to the temperature in the bedrooms. And so um, that way, you know, you're not you you're really paying attention to the rooms that matter when you're in them kind of thing. And of course it uses, it, it can figure out if you're there or not too. So it's, it's actually a little smarter than nest. Um, at least today, I don't know. I haven't looked at nest in the last year or two, but you know, these things are always leapfrogging each other. So who can say, 
Yeah, I'm gonna hook one, hook a sensor up to my daughter so I can tell when she's sick. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or my wife, so I can see when she's mad. Yeah, that, that, that conversation <laughs> uh, you had in that in the podcast about um, about Alexa was was pretty interesting though, and uh, sounds like you you've embraced yours. Uh, you, you guys were talking about, I think, a little bit about just sort of um, whether you trust Alexa or not, and, and oh, all yeah. that, and uh, and and I, I guess you know maybe I'm too trusting, but um, I, I'm. Right now, I'm kind of just letting things go out there and see what I can get get accomplished until someone scares me away from it. I'm playing the signal versus noise game where I just create so much Alexa content that good luck trying to sift through it. Yeah, I think I think whoever figures out how to understand natural language the best is going to win. And I think I guess Google and Alexa and and, uh, and Apple are all competing for that right now. I understand Google's doing the best job of it. I haven't even played with with uh, with Google Home yet. Have you have you played around with that one? Yeah, we got one for the office, and I was actually talking about this the other day too. I think it's a strength that Amazon has Bezos behind it and Facebook has Zuck behind it, and Google their person behind them isn't much of a like a. Uh, force like that you imagine about they're very split right when they went off in the alphabet and now they have all these different sub CEOs and they're not like I like that I can imagine Jeff Bezos behind this yeah. it's like a human part of me that I that I can feel is hooking the situation like everybody loves jobs yeah. not just a department yeah it's not it's not it's like I, I'm cool with Amazon being a mega corp as long as I can put a head on the corp yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. I guess it's why the boring company was able to sell fire throwers. Uh, so, or, oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's the the cult of Elon Musk. You know, we oh well, he's using it. We got to get one. But he's just cool. Yeah, I, I wanted to buy one, but they sold out. All out. We can make some. We can IoT. We can make like a little IoT one, right? So you can see like the status of my flamethrower and see how much like propellants in it, and like that'd be fun. I want to say, hey Siri, you know, throw some fire. That would be fun. Ooh. Fireball. Of course, I live in I live downtown in a condo, so I'm not sure how much my neighbors would appreciate a flamethrower um, coming off the balcony. But it would be interesting. Well, you could make a party out of it, right? Get some hors d'oeuvres, and then you could, you know, roast the food with it. Fondue. Fondue. There you go. Flame flamethrower fondue. There's a new restaurant. Oh, we got to do that franchise, or at least <laughs> a party theme. That's that's great, man. <laughs> so you're in North Carolina. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also funny because you mentioned the weather in North Carolina the other day too. It, it, and so I was thinking, gosh, that's kind of ironic talking about the weather in North Carolina. Oh, I'm a big fan. Every year, uh, we go up to Murphy and that whole little area right there where it joins with, um, the, the place in Georgia, I forget, uh, all the time, the name of the town I love there, but it's like 10 minutes or 20 minutes from Murphy, but it's in Georgia. So, Oh, like in Southwest North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. We go up there in the mountains and we, we do an Airbnb cabin oh, nice. and, um, and then we had a baby. So ah, congratulations. <laughs> That's what happens with Airbnb cabins, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That's hilarious. Cause I didn't even draw that parallel. Um, so, so yeah, is that your home? Is that your hometown? Is that where you grew up? No, I, I, I grew up next door in Tennessee. So I really grew up in Nashville and Memphis, but, uh, went, went to school in Knoxville which is not too far from where you were and uh, mm -hmm. just fell in love with the mountains and, and love North Carolina as a state. We're not far from the ocean and we've, you know, got, uh, got bad skiing, not too far away. And so, 
you know, it, it's it's a really nice nice spot, and uh, and the weather's nice. Speaking of the weather, and you know, we have we have seasons, and uh, but it never gets too hot or too cold. So no, it's it's a great place. I like the people too. It's a, it. I, I've been here about ten years and plan to retire in North Carolina. So, um, you know that they were looking at um, North Carolina is looking at. I'm not sure if it already happened or if they're doing it, but privatizing the DMV system. Is that right? Yeah, because I can't. I don't know how much I'm going to say the least amount possible, but I was doing consulting on a technology project of an individual who was going to be taking that, that business going to be doing running the business. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at how to make the DMV more efficient and using technology to do that. And then I was involved with consulting on that project. Wow. That's pretty cool. We came up with some awesome ideas, by the way, like we could make the DMV so much better. And it took what, like an afternoon of us whiteboarding. And we're like, Oh, we've got the answers to how we can take this whole DMV experience and just like instantly flip it around. And it should definitely be that should, I don't care if it's privatized or government. I don't care. I just, the, those efficiencies should be, should happen. Everywhere, everywhere. And, and all of government. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, broadening that picture. I don't know if you're, if this was something you guys did, but the, one of the nice things now is you can go online uh, to renew your driver's license, which sounds like a no, no big deal. But what most people don't realize is if you go to the DMV office to renew your driver's license, you have to like take, retake your test or something crazy like that. But if you do it online, you just have to give them your credit card number and they mail you a new one. So it's a oh, yeah. little hidden secret uh, about that that where the you know the analog world hasn't caught up with the uh, the digital world yet. But oh, I, I'm going to give you credit for that. How about that? All right, and, and trust me, yeah, so our state, Florida, has had that for. I've done it the last two two times. That's so been eight years. So Florida, oh, yeah. I mean, Florida's had the renewal. It, it's you can do it two times, and the third time you have to go in or something like uh, that. I'll bet that's the same. I, I've only done it once here. I, I don't actually know how long it's been around, but. Uh, but gosh, it's it's definitely a convenient way to do it for sure. And this was this was even farther optimization. Like it would all the all the reasons other than that that you would still need to go in, it would take it beyond that. So I, I was pumped. But we'll change the conversation so I don't violate any contracts. <laughs> <laughs> you're hitting you're hitting up against your NDAs now, right? <laughs> I don't even want to wonder if I am. I just wanna <laughs> I wanna talk about your DevOps. You talk about culture. Yeah. Culture hacks, DevOps. I want to hear what your thoughts are in that world. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, we, uh, at small footprint, we got into agile sort of around the same time everyone else did, you know, let's say eight, nine years ago. And, and we'd been, we'd did, been doing pretty well with that. And, um, and then all of a sudden sort of the, this DevOps thing started happening a few years ago. And, and like, I think the rest of the world, um, I was really looking at it as, okay, I have to figure out which tools I have to learn. Um, we have to figure out how to get people trained. We have to figure out how it's going to change our processes and everything. And as we were doing this, you know, we realized, um, especially now, a lot of those decisions have gotten, gotten really easy. And it's really sort of the, the way DevOps affects your culture and the way your culture can actually impact how you are successful with DevOps. Because Ultimately, it's changing how um, people in the organization are working and, and what they're responsible for. So it was really a kind of a light bulb uh, effect um, about a year and a half ago when I was really talking to the you know to the organization and to our customers about um, about DevOps. 
and, and kind of realizing, gosh, the tools aren't even the biggest challenge. It's, it's the people. And, um, so it's really been, it's really been impactful. And I'll, and I'll tell you, we, we're, we're, we continue to work today on, on how, um, we have to change our culture to really embrace DevOps. And as you know, I'm sure, you know, whenever you're implementing anything new, you kind of start looking at your tech debt, looking at those old projects that you were working on and, and realizing, you know, okay, it's not as simple as, taking that, you know, piece of code and putting it into your Git repository and spinning up a Jenkins instance, it's, it's really about getting folks to think differently. So it's been a really eye-opening thing. Like Circle CI. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I, I ran Jenkins for a long time and then I switched and I... I oh, okay. So I just want to give some context. So your company, you want to talk a little bit about what, what you do there? Yeah, so we're a software innovation company. Um, we've been around about 15 years, and we work with uh, with um, customer partners all around the U.S. And um, about half of our business is working with enterprise clients, where we're helping them um, create software products for their organizations in, to to solve business problems that you know they can't solve with off the shelf software. And then the other half of our business is working with ISVs, so working with companies that have software as a product. And we help them with everything from um, product strategy, like you know how to determine what your MVP needs to be, all the way through to to delivery of the product and, and helping you know come up with the strategies around that, and of course implementing it. But um, we've our practice really more and more over the last, especially three or four years, um, has um, become um, less about the development, although we still do that, and, and more about the the consulting because you know what. What we what we all have to kind of admit to ourselves is that building software is not easy to do, you know, and and you you really have to um, think less about the technologies and the headcount and more about you know the the processes around doing it and making sure that you're that you're solving business problems, not just writing a bunch of code. And so we've we've actually shifted more and more to where, in fact, the, the last couple of years, most of our um, hiring has been around folks with uh, with uh, you know a lot of experience in software development who are working as consultants, either as digital strategists or or agile transformation uh, experts or, or or user experience, for example. So some some of these areas that um, that most software development firms didn't even think about a few years ago. So it's been fun. It's it's a good time to be in software development. And if you've been you know working with uh, with CI, you know how much that's that's changing things, and and uh, so it's it's you know I've been doing this myself um, professionally uh, since the mid '90s. How long is that? A long time, and um, yeah. you know, and I and I really view the last few years as some of the most exciting um, in, in in the industry. And a lot of it's around around uh, DevOps, especially the last couple of years, and how that's impacting our organizations and and the companies that we partner with. So, how did you meet your co-founder, Richard? Is he go by Rich or Richard? Yeah, he goes. Uh, he goes. I call him Rich sometimes, but he, he goes by Richard. Uh, no, it's actually interesting. He uh, he actually founded the company um, when he lived in Hungary, and um, and then moved to uh, Winston Salem in North Carolina about the same time I did, and so I actually met him as a customer, and so hmm. I had uh, I spent about fifteen years in corporate America, and um, was uh, I'll be honest with you a little bit fed up, you know, kind of seeing um, seeing things done for the wrong reasons and, you know, in the wrong ways and, and, uh, got to know Richard as a customer and really liked the approach and of, of really a hands-on, um, helping 
me figure out what I was trying to accomplish um, from a from a business goal, not just again, you know, writing lines of code. And so was as I say, I was fortunate enough to be laid off during the recession, and uh, and actually bought into the business uh, uh, almost ten years ago. This is my tenth year with Small Footprint, and um, and it's been a great ride since. So we've been doing this together. We we're actually still like each other. We're still good friends, <laughs> and and so I'm very fortunate about that. But um, but no, and and it's it's really been great. And and the nice thing is is that a lot of the reason that this company. Uh, was founded was cultural. Richard wanted to create a good culture, and I was attracted to that culture. And he and I have have continued to to grow it and morph it. And and like I said, you know, we we started uh, in the maybe early days of agile and seeing how that affected it. And so a lot of the decisions we've made about processes and, and things like that, that we've run into the company have been really focused on how it impacts the culture internally and how we work with our customers and, and the impact that culture has on them, which obviously had a good impact on me because I was a customer and, uh, and liked the experience so much I bought into it. And what is an average day? I, I'm actually looking over all the stuff you guys talk about on your capabilities and your website and reading about product strategy design. And I like you guys because you're saying, oh, the, you're saying the things that like I talk, that I talk about, <laughs> like this is, this is what it is. I, I, I can always, you know, you get a feel when you go to a site and you start reading through and it's like, it's either very ambiguous or it's older buzzwords, or it's like, you can just tell that the person's, the content isn't written by someone who's extraordinarily knowledgeable about the, the subject. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, they say that they, they're saying the right things. Like the, that's the, that's more than half the battle is to be even selling and saying the right things. Right. Well, great. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a tremendous compliment. I appreciate it. Yeah. And it's, so what does an average day look like for you? You know, um, for me, and, and I'm, I'm certainly more focused on the technology than some of the other areas, but a lot of what we do, uh, especially in our leadership, is really making sure that we are working with clients where we feel like we can have an impact. And so for me, a lot of that is you know, do we have the skills necessary and the technologies in our stack to be able to to address a particular business problem or or answer the questions that our customers have? Um, but you know, it's we we really strive to look for customer partners where um, they're as eager to learn and get better as we are. And you know, if if they're not willing, we kind of look at this as these three tenets. So if they don't, if 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 they don't have um, outdated process or outdated technology or outdated user experience, um, we're, we're, we're probably not going to be able to help them. If they're doing well on all those things, then we might not be the right partner for them. So it's funny. We, we spend almost as much time disqualifying um, our partners as we do finding the right ones. And, and when we do find the right ones, it's great. And it's not that we know everything or have everything figured out. No, even like culture, we, we feel like we still have a long way to go, even though we feel like we're more mature than, than most um, organizations. But it's uh, we, we all really have this strive to learn and do better and help our help our customers do better because, you know, ultimately we, we want to win with them and help them, you know, solve their business problems or have a successful product or whatever the case may be. And I'm glad you picked up that on that in our in our blog because really, you know, what we what we strive to do and the way we talk on our website is really just share 
you know, the, the challenges that we have that we're, that we're trying to solve. And, uh, in a way that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly not going to be preachy because we're, we're, uh, we don't have everything figured out yet, but, you know, being, being open that, look, we're going to tell you what we're good at. We're going to tell you what we're not good at. Um, and, um, you know, but we're, we have confidence in what we can do. And if, uh, if, if you're willing to, to work with us and, and learn together with us, we can, we can become a great, a great partnership. And that's ultimately what, we look, what we're looking for every day is, is to find those customer partners that, that we feel like we can grow and learn and, and succeed together. Yeah, you mentioned um, when I was right, you set my mind off in about a hundred directions. <laughs> okay. it's like squirrel, you know. <laughs> uh, so that ability to to meet and find out if you can provide value to the other individual, even though like sometimes people are sold on like you being the answer, and then I'm like, I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't think I can bring you value. So that happens. That's a tough struggle. It's also. I just went through this process of writing my first book and that whole concept of like, when I started out with the editor, I'm like, look, what I want to do is I want to position this whole thing as here's my experience. Like, this is what, this is what's true to me. Take, you know, and then take that and leverage my experience. And then you can find yourself as you're going through the process, getting like really passionate. And in some of those items are like, you have to do it this way. Like, this is the way to do it. Like I'm very passionate about it. Others. I'm like, Oh, this is the experience I had, you know, take it for what you will. And so going back and forth between like being, you know, trying to find the balance between preachy and sharing is always like a tough thing to do. Yeah, no doubt. And and there are definitely some non-negotiables when, you know, when we engage and, you know, one of those um, is that we have to all be engaged and, you know, I think uh, back in the days of waterfall, you know, where you would go sit down and spend six months gathering requirements and then go away for two years and, and come back and bring you the piece of software that they didn't want. You know, that was that was sort of the way the world worked. And we've we've all forgotten what it was like 10, 10 or so years ago. And but so just saying you're agile and having a daily stand up is not going to solve that problem. Really, everyone has to be involved. So our one of our non-negotiables is that we have to have folks from our customer partners who are actively engaged with us, with our team. So it's not even a one-on-one, like everyone needs to be talking to everyone so that we all understand what the business goals are and that we can all talk through things and make sure it's really clear so that we're actually delivering something that people actually want that works and solves the business problem. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely a non-negotiable and that will never change. Uh, at least through my career, will always, you know, insist that people from from both sides of the fence are talking on a regular basis so that we can all be prepared um, to go along. And the other one really is 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 transparency. And and uh, you know, I, I I don't know if you've read this book that's been really popular lately, Getting Naked, which we hate to say that because if you take it out of context, it sounds wrong. But the the real sense with that book um, is that that we all have to be honest with each other about the, 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 the good, bad, and the ugly. And, and, you know, you can't expect me to understand everything about your business in the first five minutes. You have to be willing to let me answer dumb questions and you have to appreciate that. And also know that even after we're working together for two years, there's still going to be things that, that we get wrong, but we have to just be patient with each other and be open and honest. And, and, uh, you know, obviously with respect, um, but you know, be, be not, not hold back in those deals. So th- those are things that we really insist on that are non-negotiables. And in the moment 
that that people disengage or they stop being transparent is when we know we're headed down the road to failure. And that's that sucks. <laughs> so th- definitely non-negotiables. I like the, that you brought up the dumb questions because I am like, I'm the king of dumb questions. And here's why. <laughs> dumb questions are an alias for the first questions people think of. Right. They're like the dumb questions are simply everyone considers them dumb because they know them. They know them because they're always around. They're always around them because it's what they're doing. It's part of their business, but they're not the dumb questions. They're the first questions that pop into people's mind. So if you alienate and, and look at them as dumb questions and push them away, what you're doing is you're preventing your perspective from being a fresh customer. And then that ultimately removes that ability from you. And you should always be able to see how fresh people see you. Yeah. Right? You should always be thinking about those first, those first questions. So I like to, uh, use my dumb side of me <laughs> or I like, I like to use that perspective and then bring it up. And I ask these questions, you know, it's amazing is like, I can ask these, these questions that people will think are dumb and then I can like wrap a perspective around it and show them how it's not dumb. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. We were having a a conversation internally um, last week. I would be really curious what your what your perspective on it is, of um, going to that first discovery meeting with a customer, and um, how much research do you do upfront on the industry, the customer, the business problem, whatever? Like how how much do you want to know before you go in? And you know, it's the, the question of um, if I learn too much, I'm going to walk in with some inherent biases. If I don't do any research, then I'm going to walk in completely, <laughs> completely dumb. Uh, but you know, sort of what that what that good balance is, and it's it's a really interesting topic. And uh, but it's kind of related to, to to what you're saying. I, what do you think? Okay, so it's for me, it's dependent upon the industry, right? So like, let's say I'm going to go if I'm going to talk to somebody, I know that they're in the healthcare industry. I've got a lot of knowledge to pull on because my brother and mom are mm-hmm. doctors. Right. And I grew up with that. So it's always been around me. If it's technology, building software, I've got a lot of. So if it's if it's an area where I have a lot of comfort or it's an industry where I know I will do a brief scan of I'm less interested in their business and I'm going to their about page and reading their bio. I want to know who these people are and how they think as much as possible before I meet the human. And I'm less concerned with their business because I have these core principles of like how I operate. And so I can always just I'm 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 never. I'm not usually creating new things. I'm just translating my principles to whatever the conversation is. So I'm a big fan of, I ask questions that are simple and I let them respond. And I, I will listen until I have a a level of confidence and then I talk. So I'm like mining, 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 mining. And then once I have my head wrapped around the situation, I just, I, I go for it. Yeah, that's 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 a, a good way to look at it, and, and I think that it's interesting. You mentioned the the people's backgrounds, and um, you know we're obviously most new meetings start off with the um, introductions around the table, and it's it's always amazing to me how many businesses bring in employees that don't necessarily have a lot of industry expertise because they want those fresh eyes. Here's a, here's another perspective. So like I used because this I'll I'll share some of the how I got here. So I used to do a lot of research. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'd look at their business. I'd have all these ideas for them. I'd be so pumped. And I was like, oh, I can't wait for this meeting. I'm going to show them how creative I am. I'm going to like, I'm going to solve their problems. I'm going to like help them out, help them out. I was like bright eyed and bushy tailed. I get in the meeting. We start talking and be all excited. It's not what they wanted. 
Like it's not even yeah. close. They, they have this, this issue that can't even be seen that they're trying to solve. And it has nothing to do with like, you couldn't even possibly imagine it. So now the first thing I always start off with is figuring out what their motivations are. Why, what value are we going to exchange for currency? What do they need me for? What are they looking to get done? Because without knowing who they are and what they want, like I could know every fact in the world about their industry, like all the problems, all the money, everything, nothing like that is all secondary to who they are and what they want. And then my goal also is like, is to set up a second meeting where I can actually bring them value. So I always bring the value, um, on my end and I bring it in a disproportionate amount. Like I'm always looking to bring someone 10, 20 times more value than they were expecting. And then then the deal happens. So, cause they're so, cause it's like a getting a sample of working with me. Right. Yeah. So I go there, I meet with them. I find out, all right, I'm a hundred percent. I'm not on my phone. Like I'm not researching. I'm, I'm like phones away. Eye contact. Who are you? How can I help you? What do you need from me? Okay. I, I consume a, a ridiculous amount of information from them, ask them questions and kind of, you know, along the lines of their goals, take that information. And then I go back and I figure out what I could do. I bring them value. I say, all right, here, here, here's A, B and C. This is what I would do. This is what I would. And what happens is as I tell them like all the things I would be doing and all the value I'd be bringing them, they're like, oh my goodness, this person knows exactly what to do. Everything they say sounds really, really great. And there's no way like let, let the expert work. Let's just grab this individual and let him do his thing. Yeah. And, and I think, you you know, you really nailed it. And, it. and it's certainly the way that we look at things as well, because very often, you know, when when our, our customers sit down with us for the first time, um, they don't even realize that they don't understand their business problem. So if we come in with the solution in the first five minutes, um, we're, we're probably answering a question that they don't have and probably not even answering the real question because they haven't even figured that out yet. And so, you know, it's certainly the way that we approach it. And again, you know, going back to the book, Getting Naked, and uh, that's, that's the whole idea is getting in and really trying to find where the value is. And, you know, it's funny, we, we, we talked about talking about DevOps when we haven't really, but for me, the, uh, the, probably the best thing with continuous integration and continuous delivery is that it becomes the Chihuahua effect where you're able to deliver small chunks of value so quickly using agile and devops that the idea from my perspective is that you're going back and saying is this the value you need is this the value you need are we adding value or are we going in the wrong direction so it's that cycle of being able to go back to the person who has the business problem or the business opportunity that they're trying to solve with software technology and and very quickly iterating through to say is this bringing you value is this good is this good and so that's that's one of the reasons I love the, the, the direction that we've gone, especially, you know, with, the, with containers and CI and CD of being able to quickly roll those things out so that, that, uh, that folks can see it and make a determination is, are we accomplishing our goal, which is building and creating value? Because if we're not, we need to either change directions or stop. And, and so that, you know, kind of cycling back to the whole DevOps conversation, that's what it is for me. And that's where the real value comes out of it. And so what do you typically do? I, I know I, I noticed you had some case studies, but can you give me an example of like what you've done for a client in relation to DevOps? And Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, I think there's, um, there's a, a lot of these situations where um, very often there's just a lack of visibility um, to the process. And so, you know, Agile 
um, helped the development team for the most part work better together. So they're talking regularly, they're planning regularly, they're taking ownership of, of things. But what, what we really, and the reason we've invested in, uh, in implementing DevOps practices is really the ability to give that transparency to, to everyone involved. So um, the idea is, so for example, um, if you have a new build of a piece of software, you know, in the past, it was sort of a dance to figure out what's what's in that build, and um, is it ready for for user acceptance testing, or is it even re- is it even ready for QA? But now, um, with you know, with DevOps uh, best practices, we're able to actually know what's in a build um, because it's being delivered automatically to a known location. Uh, it's easier to share with our customers so they can actually see. Um, what's in a build. And like I said, you know, because you're integrating all of these systems, um, then you can tell exactly what's what's in those uh, in that build and what's ready to be tested and the features that that customer can expect. And um, and, and so that's one big part of it. Another another big part of it is really in how we're using orchestration um, to better manage um, feature delivery, especially, you know, with with uh, software that has a large number of customers and you, you know, you want to, and you're you're obviously putting out releases more more regularly. Um, you you want to be able to have that be more graceful. So whether you're doing feature switching, so that you're not exposing a new feature to the entire user base, but just to a segment to see how things are going, and then being able to you know to continue the rollout or to roll back if necessary. So it, it's really about increasing visibility and transparency to the process. And, and our customers, you know, it's kind of like back in the day when we were having to convince our customers that they really did want to pay for dedicated QA staff. If you'll remember those days, you know, now, uh, now a, a lot of the question is, is, you know, are our, are our customers going to be willing to pay for the, you know, extra time required to set up, you know, these DevOps processes? And, and the answer that we're finding is yes, that customers realize that, you know, there may be a little bit more time up front in, in creating a strategy around, for example, your feature branching, um, or in how you're going to be, you know, doing your, your the orchestration of your servers. But at the end of the day, the time that you save and the the, the way you drive down the risk um, is, is well worth the investment. And so we've gotten to the point where not all of our customers are are asking for DevOps, but um, those conversations are are becoming easier and easier. And certainly, um, some of our our larger engagements where they've had some some segments of the product um, set up with these tools, you know, they're asking for it to be across their entire line of products, and so it's been it's been really cool to see that transition. And we're not quite, you know, we're not quite there yet. And obviously, the industry isn't isn't. I think a lot of folks don't even really understand what DevOps is yet. Um, but we're we're mm-hmm. we're seeing the momentum really pick up speed, and um, both within our organization and with our customers, and understanding what it is and, and what the impact is it can be on their software products. Yeah, I noticed you you write and you, it looks like you speak a little bit. Are you speaking anytime soon? Um, we have actually uh, my my next engagement. We have a a regional um, developers conference uh, actually here in Winston Salem called the Triad Developers Conference that uh, I'll be talking more about uh, about DevOps and culture and um, and that's coming up in March, I think mid March. And um, and we'll I'm also do regular webinars as well and. You can certainly find out about those on, on our website. Um, and yeah, and I'll, I continue to write. And, uh, and actually, that's one of my goals this year is to pick up this, the pace of, uh, of writing as well as speaking. So um, I, I would certainly love to do more of that this year. 
You can put out a book. Gosh, uh, you know, you're not the first person to ask me that question, but I, I'm, I'm certainly thinking about it. I think I'm at the point right now where I'm taking some notes and thinking through over, over my career, especially I, I, I love this challenge of culture and, and the opportunity there and how it really impacts everything. So, um, maybe so, maybe so, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be the person who puts me over the edge to actually, uh, sitting down and spending some time on that. Oh, I fully, I am that person. Do it. <laughs> I needed that one more nudge. There you go. I was, I was like the final straw. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. Um, if you could go back in time, this is a good one. I love this one. It's always, it's always my favorite. Oh, if you go back in time 10 years ago. Yeah. You give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? Um, one piece of advice 10 years ago. You know, I, I think it's um, it's probably worrying less about some of the, the small things and, and really focusing more on how we're working together um, with our with our customers and, and internally. I think we get caught up in some of the minutia of the little things and worrying about some of the little details and losing sight sometimes of the big picture. And so I think that's, that's probably where I would be. Now, granted, 10 years ago, I was just getting started with, uh, with small footprint. So I was just dipping my toes into the entrepreneurial water. But, um, but I think, you know, that you can really get tied up in, in the minutia of things and, and forget about, you know, having, having fun and looking at the big picture and, and appreciating, um, you know, what a great industry we get to work in and what cool stuff we get to do every day. I love it. I love that advice. That's really solid, good advice. Thank you so much for the conversation today. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoy your podcast. I've listened to several episodes now and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing you talk to more folks over the next few months. I think you, you're doing something great. It's, uh, it's been an interesting, interesting show so far. And congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.